Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. When the motivated seller is ready, the investor will appear, but you've got to be appearing. And the only way you're going to appear at the right time is to keep repeating what you are doing. So what I teach my students is that for every different type of marketing you have, there's a repetition cycle. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Welcome back to the Get Traction Podcast. It's Tom Z. Very happy to be back. And as always, producer Harry Duran. Hey, Harry. Hey, Tom. How's it going today? Fantastic. What do you want to cover on our inaugural episode? What I think we should start with, Harry, is going through my main model for what is rapid cash generation. This frames out everything every real estate investor needs. So I focus specifically on wholesaling as my exit strategy, but no matter what kind of real estate investor you want to be, buy and hold or rehab or wholesaler, the beginning of the process is all the same. And I have three main pillars that define the beginning of it. So what I want to do is walk everyone through what those are. Sounds like a plan. The model that we take people through has three main pillars to it. And those three pillars are number one, find the deal. That's your marketing. Number two, make the deal. That's your negotiation. And number three, get paid. That's contracts and control. That's managing the deal through the process from the moment the person says yes until the moment you get paid. So we have find the deal, make the deal, and get paid as our three main pillars of what it takes to be a great real estate investor. And I think what will be helpful for the listener, if you are at home, to pull out a piece of paper, follow along with us, because I think there's something powerful to be able to put pen to paper when you hear ideas and concepts like this. And obviously, if you are listening to this on the road, if you're in traffic, if you're on the treadmill, walking the dog or making dinner, then by all means, uh, listen attentively. And then when you get home, make sure you replay the episode and follow along with Tom, uh, because there's something powerful to put in this stuff on paper. Yeah, would you agree? Absolutely. Now, Harry, when we get those three elements right, the find the deal, the make the deal, and get paid, that's when we achieve total freedom, which is what I argue your business should be based around. Your business should be based around you personally achieving total freedom, whatever that means for you. That's, that's, there's a money component to that. There's a time component to that. There's a family component to that. There's a travel component to that. So I want people to think about what is total freedom to you? What is it that you are after? Why are you building this business? And why do you want it up and running and thriving? Let's get that right. 
because that's at the center of, of what we want to achieve. And to achieve it, we need these three pillars. We need to find the deal, make the deal, and get paid. So why is that important to have that why clearly identified as you're thinking about this, this whole framework? Because um, I, I know why it's important for me, and, and I think you know why it was important for you when you got started, but why is this idea of having that freedom in mind or having that why clearly identified? Because without it, you'll be lost without the, it, se- it seems like such a basic step. It almost, some people think it's a little foo-foo and it doesn't really add up, but if you don't know your reason why you're doing something, you generally don't move ahead. It's almost a subconscious thing. When you, when you clearly define what it is for you, what outcome you want to have, if you look forward one year or two years, or three years, and you can taste and see that outcome and understand what that's going to be, then you have a reason why you want to get there. And that makes all of it worthwhile to you. People that don't, that never take the time to define their why and never take the time to figure out why it is they want the change. They don't want it progressing along the path. We've got to make that why real enough to you that you understand it, that you want it, that you can taste it. And then you go, okay, I want to go after that. Otherwise you stay stuck at the starting line, spinning your wheels. And that's no place to be. Yeah. That sounds like it's super important, super important part of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to take us to the fine part first. Yeah, let's start with fine. Let's talk about marketing. So without marketing, you have nothing. If you never get the leads, then you'll never have the deals. If you never get the leads, you'll never have a chance to negotiate. If you never get the leads, you'll never have a chance to use the right kind of contracts. You'll never have a chance to get paid. You'll never get all the way through the process until you get that first step right. And that's marketing. I'm going to break marketing down further. Let's take the find a deal and break that down into three further categories. We're going to talk market, we're going to talk message, and we're going to talk multiplication. So let's start with market so this makes sense. The the market is the who. Who is it that you are after? Well, we're after a motivated seller, not just any seller, a motivated seller. So we have to think about what motivates a seller to sell their, their property quickly to an investor. What motivates them to need to sell the property even more than they want to sell it? What motivates them to not have price be the number one issue in their negotiation? That's a really important point. We've got to get the right kind of who. Well, the answer to that is that there's a problem in their life. There's something wrong. They've, um, let me give you some different examples of the who, different markets that, that I reach out to. Out-of-state absentee owners is one of my all-time favorites. So this is a person who owns a property, let's say down the street from you, they're in your town, but they don't even live in your state. They live somewhere far away. They live on the other side of the country, sometimes the other side of the world, but they still own that property. And when something happens with that property, they can't run and fix it because they're nowhere nearby. They're nowhere at all. So that's an out-of-state absentee owner. You can reach out to them and say, hey, are you having problems with this property? Do you want to sell this property quickly for cash? What winds up happening is that maybe there's a problem with the property or the tenant that's in the property or some sort of situation with the property. But a lot of times the problem is actually with them back wherever they live and they can ditch that property and sell that property to solve the problem somewhere far away. So you wind up the benefit of being able to help them out of their situation somewhere far away from you by using a property that's right down the street from you. So it's one of my all-time favorite lists. It's been my number one over the years. I love out-of-state absentee owners. Another good example of a good market to go after a a who is probates. 
So when someone dies and they own a property, their estate goes into probate. And when I say estate, I don't mean they were, you know, super rich with a, a horse farm or a mansion. An estate just is what's left over when you die. That house gets inherited, maybe by children, by grandchildren, by somebody else. But a lot of times, if you think about it, if someone's inheriting a property from a parent, they may or may not live in the same area. They may or may not have any time to deal with that house. They've got their own lives and their own kids and their own job. And now they got to deal with you know, mom's house. And that's difficult, particularly if she hasn't updated the thing in 40 years. If they reach out to an agent, you know, they reach out to a realtor to sell it. As a realtor says, oh, well, it needs to be fixed up. Well, now they're thinking, great, I got to fix a property up. I got to spend all that time, all that money, all that headache, all that hassle. I got to manage a contractor just to be able to list it, to sell it. So when you come along as a real estate investor and say, hey, I understand you've inherited property and I, I specialize in properties just like that from people just like you, and no, you don't have to do a thing to the property. I'll buy it from you as is. There's a really good motivation for them to sell to you. And price is not the number one issue in that negotiation either. They just want that problem solved. They want that property off their hands as is, not after they have to fix it up and spend a lot of time and effort on it. So that's another really great source. Other great sources of the who, you know, people go through a divorce. Well, normally what happens, they, they bought the house based on two incomes, but now that it's Splitsville, <laughs> there's, there's only one income and one income can't afford it, so they need to sell. Sometimes people are moving into town, um, they're moving out of town. They might just be sick and tired landlords. I mean, I've certainly been there. I, I told people initially how I got started with a six-unit building full of professional tenants. I was a very motivated seller. And the worst part was not being able to find anyone to take that property off my hands. Like nobody wanted it. Even when I called, Harry, I used to call investor ads mm. to try to get somebody to take that six-unit building off my hands. Most of the time, nobody would answer the phone and nobody would call back, which really made me wonder why they were spending money on marketing if they weren't going to bother to pick up the phone in the first place or even bother to call me back after I left a desperate sounding message. So a lot of people worry about their competition. Oh, everyone wants to do real estate investing. There's so many real estate investors out there. Really? There might be. I don't see many that are actually doing it and doing it consistently. And heck, if you're calling and no one's answering and they don't even return a phone call, then I don't really consider them competition. So each step of my process is designed to, yes, get you leads, but also destroy your competition at the same time. If we do this right, you're the only logical choice because we're destroying your competition. What's important about this approach is there's a method and steps to follow. And ideally, you know, if you do things in this order that you're, you're outlining, then people will have the results because people have gone through this exact process and they've had uh, success with your program. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so this is exactly why I teach people how to do and give them the materials to do it with because, you know, let's go through the list of the different types of people, the different types of who's. I teach people where to go and how to get that data together so that they can then market to it. And what they send to them, I give them in my implementation kit as well. So it's a, it, is it postcard samples, letter samples, if it's advertisements, the text that you say, what goes on your website, what do you say on the phone, how do you lead a conversation? All of that comes together. But we have to start with identifying who it is and then reaching out to them with a specific message. So the second part of that puzzle is the message. So we've identified who, now we have to identify what we want to say to people and what is the message. 
not what is the message, what itself, the word W-H-A-T, that is the message, right? It's, it's the what. So if we take someone who is an out-of-state absentee owner, we got to think about what are their hot buttons? What are the things that are driving them, motivating them? What kind of problems do we have? And let's speak to them, saying that we know who they are. And if somebody's in divorce, well, that's a different set of issues. We want to think through those issues and put in our marketing and our, our letters, our postcards, our flyers, our advertisements. We want to think through what hot buttons do they have that we can talk to, right? They have an itch. We want to scratch it. They have a button. We want to push it to make sure that they are going, yeah, that's me. Oh, this looks good to me. I think people instinctively know when they have the correct message to market match and when they don't. They know this from television advertisements. Think about what's advertised um, on Sunday during a football game. Any ideas? Sodas and chips and Victoria's Secret runway. (laughs) (laughs) Sodas and chips and babes and beer, right? Those are good football advertisements. Yeah. Uh, But let's take that remote control and change the channel and let's go over to the Lifetime Network. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the commercials now? Bubble bath? <laughs> yeah, bubble bath. Yeah, think, we're both guys. We don't understand, right? There's just commercial things we don't even get. Yeah. Now, what if, what, if, what if we played the beer and chips and fast cars and all, what if we took the football advertisements and played them on the Lifetime channel? Yeah. How would their sales do? Uh, not very well. Not very well. It would go down. And if we took those Lifetime commercials that you and I as, as men don't understand and we played those during the football game, how many new customers would they get? Yeah, they'd be wondering if they were if they something somebody was messing with their with their game. <laughs> exactly, they'd be wondering something's massively wrong because what that is, they had the message to market match wrong, and particularly on television, uh, they know exactly who's watching those shows, the exact demographics, who it is, and so you put together a message that makes sense for those people because you want people watching it going, oh yeah, that's me, I like that, I'm going to go buy that, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to sign up for that. That's what you do when you get the message to market match right. So it's no different in real estate investing. We have to get the message to market match correct. That way people are getting our letter or getting our postcard or reading our ad saying, oh yeah, that's me. Oh, I did inherit a property and yeah, I don't want to be bothered with it. I just want to sell it and get rid of it and move on quickly. I've got a whole life to proceed. Or yeah, I'm an out-of-state absentee owner. Yeah, I really, I really could stand to ditch that property and take the money. Or Yes, I'm a tired landlord. Man, I'm so sick and tired of evicting tenants. I have, no, I have nothing but bad luck with tenants. I'd rather just get rid of this property. So you want them nodding their heads saying, yes, identifying with what it is that you put in your marketing. That's when you know you've got the message to market match correct. And it should feel like you're speaking directly to them when they receive your marketing materials. Yes. Well, think of how many times you've, you've thrown something out that you've gotten in the mail without even opening the envelope. You know it's junk. Maybe you you look at a postcard and you go, that's not for me, and you throw it out. We don't want that to happen. When we get the message to market match correct, we want them looking at your materials going, oh, wow, that is exactly me. They're nodding their head, yes, that's exactly me, and that's exactly what I need and want right now. And then they call, then they email, then they go to your website, fill out a form, and take action. What's one of the common mistakes new investors, and even I'm sure experienced investors still occasionally make make this mistake when it comes to marketing message match? I think they get a little too generic. You just assume it's, you know, oh, we buy houses or sell us your house. But that's kind of generic and boring. Look, if you're going to spend the time doing the courthouse research 
or building the right kind of list of who the market is. So you're getting very people with very specific problems. A motivated seller is motivated because they have a problem. So if you're going to spend the time getting really specific about these people and finding those specific names, then send them a message that matches exactly what their problem is rather than send them something generic. So if you've gone through the trouble of, of finding the eviction notices, and so you know these people are tired landlords. They're tired landlords because they've kicked tenants out. Then talk to them about being sick and tired of tenants and toilets. Talk to them about the headaches landlords would have. Don't just send them a generic, we buy houses message. Because then it's, they, they might respond because they are so desperate, but they also might not because they're borderline or they're, they're still not sure they have a problem. What, what your job as a good marketer is to needle that problem, right? Scratch that itch, push those buttons, and turn up the heat on them a little bit. Turn that heat up. You're actually mm -hmm. doing them a favor. I, Harry, I think a lot of times people, they don't, they don't want to turn the heat up because they feel bad about it. Yeah. Well, this person already has a problem. I don't want to make it worse. No, go ahead and turn the heat up. You're doing them a favor because you're actually forcing them to deal with their problem. And yikes, as human beings, <laughs> if we all dealt with our problems promptly and efficiently, life would go so much smoother. And sometimes it just takes somebody to give us that little push. And you don't want to be the equivalent of the sign that we see when we're at the traffic light, the eight and a half by 11 piece of paper stapled to the telephone pole that says we buy houses. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily look great either, right? It's like, maybe I'll do that. But there's two types of marketing there. So that, that sign, you know, stapled to a telephone pole, that's a broadcast type of marketing. It's a shotgun approach. You're taking a, a big wide shot, seeing if anyone responds. That's one way of marketing. I really prefer to get really narrow focused and, and targeted, like laser focus in on people. So I like going to the courthouse and doing research of evictions. I like going to the courthouse and doing research on people in probate because now I have some really specific names that definitely have a situation that can cause them to be a motivated seller, right? Make them need to sell more than they want to sell and make price not the number one issue in the negotiation that I want to have with them. So when I start with those, I get better results on the targeted side of marketing than I do on the broadcast side of marketing. So those are kind of an important distinction to keep in mind as well. And what's important is to, for the listener to understand that uh, we're giving you a lot of information now, but there's a reason that this is going to be a series and we're going to deep dive on a lot of these into more detail. So if you don't get it on the first pass, don't worry, you know, we're, Tom's going to cover this in more specifics in the upcoming episodes and really dive more into, you know, what we talk, what, what we mean when we talk about honing in your message and even some of those examples of doing the research, you know, people probably have questions like, how do I do that? And, and where do I start? So I don't want people to feel like they're getting overwhelmed now with a lot of information. Just think of this as a high level overview of the, the system that we want to cover and sort of like the framework for what we're going to use for the upcoming episodes. So the, the, there's going to be more details to follow. Absolutely. We'll definitely drill deep and, and help you understand this. So I want to, don't get confused, just kind of follow along and then we're going to get, we'll get more specific with each one. And that's why these episodes will build on each other. I want to make sure they're all in very bite-sized digestible chunks. And so we've got uh, marketing and message, and then we've got under the fine pillar, multiplication. Yes, multiplication. So the last part of the puzzle is multiplication, uh, which is another way of saying repetition. And it's not enough. What I mean by that is it's not enough to say something one time. It's not enough to send out one postcard or one round of letters. You've got to do it again and again and again. You have to, but there will absolutely always be drama. 
what we are paid for effectively as real estate investors is on TV. I bet you have a jingle that is stuck in your head sometimes and you find yourself singing it and you can't get it out of your head and you're gonna go crazy. That's not because you heard it once, that's because you've heard it again and again and again and again, and it's been drilled down into your mind. Yeah. Well, that's the repetition cycle. That's the multiplication effect. So you know that works in general, but yet people sometimes, they come in to become real estate investors and they think, oh, it didn't work. I sent out one round of mailings and it doesn't work. I sent out 100 letters and I didn't get a deal. Well, you're not going to get a deal out of 100 letters. I mean, if you did, I would consider that very lucky. It takes a higher volume so we have a good statistical chance and it takes repetition because a lot of times people don't call you the first time they see your advertisement they don't call you the first time they receive your letter they don't call you the first time they receive your postcard it takes a couple of rounds for them to be comfortable with it that being said i always find it interesting that you know half my sellers when i you know when i talk to them on the phone and like you know why did you call me oh i got your postcard oh fantastic you know, how many did you get? And they'll say, well, no, it's the first time I've seen it. <laughs> and I'll look them up on the list. and I know they've gotten four, five, six of my postcards already. But to them, in their mind, it's the first time they've seen it. It's been quietly ninja-like in the back of their head. But eventually, when they need it, it's kind of like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's the same thing. When the, when the motivated seller is ready, the investor will appear. But you've got to be appearing. And the only way you're going to appear at the right time is to keep repeating what you are doing. So what I teach my students is that for every different type of marketing you have, there's a repetition cycle. The repetition cycle is different. Some people, oh, is it monthly, is it weekly, is it quarterly? It depends on, on what that market is. Because if you think about it, for each of the different types of who, for each of the different markets, there's a, you know, there's a different, do you have control of yourself? Do you have control over your emotions? I know you want this deal. I know you want that money to achieve whatever total freedom means for you. But sometimes some people, they get so thirsty and hungry for it that they smell like desperation. That makes a lot of sense. So that covers everything in find. So next, the next pillar you've outlined was make. Make, yes. Now make the deal is one of my absolute favorite parts of the business because I love negotiating. Negotiation is fun. A lot of people are scared of negotiation. They're afraid of negotiation. They feel kind of timid and shy about the whole thing. And I think the reason why is that a lot of people tend to think that negotiation means high pressure sales and nobody likes high pressure sales. And I don't even think high pressure salesmen like high pressure sales. There's some odd self-hatred there, but um, no, negotiation is not high pressure sales. Negotiation done right is simply moving people from no to yes. And when we get negotiation right, and we, we're literally taking somebody that's maybe hesitant and warming them up. We're taking a lukewarm lead and turning it into a red hot deal. So everything I talked about in marketing develops leads, right? It gets you leads. Leads, not, not cold leads, but not hot leads either. They're warm. And what we have to do in negotiation is turn the temperature up, crank up the heat, and take that lukewarm lead and turn it into a red hot deal that's done through proper negotiation. Because in negotiation, we are aiming to get the price down. We want to get the price down to where they're at and lock them into us and lock them into us by saying yes, right? We want to get them to say yes so that they understand that, okay, this person is right for me. This is the right solution for me. This is the right contract for me. This is the right price for me. Now, they're only going to say yes if it works for them in the same way. You're only going to say yes if it works for you. So as schmaltzy as it sounds, we are truly after a win-win 
style negotiation here. Okay, you're not gonna you're not gonna force somebody to do something that's against their will or something that's not good for them. And in the same way, you're not gonna go ahead with it if it doesn't make any sense for you as an investor. You're not out here to lose money or take on their problems. You're out here to solve their problems and make money in the process of helping them. And that is what good proper negotiation is about. A lot of different negotiation techniques that we'll talk about in future episodes and trainings, but for the main overview of how I look at making the deal, I break it down into three categories, pinpoint, package, and persuade. Let's take each of those one by one. The first step in a negotiation. So somebody's responded to your marketing and they, let's say they call you, you're on the phone with them. The first thing we need to do is pinpoint their problem. What exactly is the problem they're having? Are they a tired landlord? Did they inherit the property? Are they not a state absentee owner? Are they going through a divorce? Are they, are they, have they just gotten too old and want to get out? You know, their, their knees are sore or they want to move somewhere warmer. These are common things that come up all the time, but you have to ask. You have to ask what that problem is so you can pinpoint what it is. Because when we get a really clear focus of what their problem is, then we can move on to step two, which is packaging up a solution that works. So if we start by pinpointing the problem, because now we can put together a package, a solution that works for them. So on the topic of pinpointing, I get the sense that sometimes new investors are afraid to ask for the details? Do you, where do you yes. think people get this wrong sometimes? Yeah, they flat out get very afraid to talk to people. And the weird thing is, it's not that hard. <laughs> you just wanna be asking very you know, open-ended questions or you know, some pointed questions and some open-ended questions about you know, why are you selling? When do you need to sell by? What are you gonna do if you don't sell? And keep kind of turning up the heat a little bit on each of those answers and dig for more information. Harry, I view this like an onion. And you want to keep peeling off layers of the onion. So just because somebody gives you an answer, that's only one layer of the onion. Now there's a, we found, oh, there's another layer. Let's peel that layer off too. And let's keep trying to get down to the core of what it is. And that's obviously so we can pinpoint the problem to better package up a solution that would work. It's also, that's on our end, it's also beneficial to them because you're making that person think through where they're at, think through their problem and how they want and need it solved. That's a pretty big thing for most people because they've never gone through that and no one's ever pushed them to do that. So I like to really spend time on the pinpointing. Now, yeah, people do get oddly afraid about talking to people. And one thing I have students at my boot camp do is practice. And I tell them to practice on something that doesn't matter. So go, go on Craigslist and look for the people selling for sale by owner. They want to be called. That's why they advertised on Craigslist. The thing is, don't expect any of it to turn into a deal. Simply, I tell them, print out 10 copies of my deal worksheet, which is the, it's kind of the crutch. It's the framework they can lean on to never feel choked up about what to say, to never be hesitant what to say, to never not know what to say. They just look down at my deal worksheet, and that's the framework that has all the questions. It's not a script, because I don't like scripts. Life doesn't follow a script. So what I like to do is provide a framework, that way they can freestyle within the framework and come up with exactly the questions they need to be asking. So I tell them, look, print out 10 copies of this and call 10 ads in Craigslist. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna get more and more comfortable with asking the questions. You're gonna realize that it doesn't hurt, <laughs> it's not difficult, 
And you're also going to see how randomly different 10 different people can respond to the exact same set of questions. And that helps you get very familiar with talking to people and starting to pinpoint what that problem is. Then we move on to packaging and we talk about, all right, if these are the problems, let's package up a solution that would work. Let me give you some examples. A lot of times I deal with older motivated sellers. So they're in their 80s, sometimes even into their 90s, late 70s, usually, let's say, you know, 80 something on average. Mm-hmm. They want to sell because why? Well, first off, it's usually a her. It's always a female seller at that age. Any ideas why? Widow? Yep. Sorry, buddy. The, the men die first. <laughs> it's just the way it is, right? So we're usually dealing with a widow. The house has been paid off. She has no mortgage left on the property because she was from a generation that, well, gosh, their whole point was to pay it off and own it free and clear. That was, that was their goal. From you know, that age, they were financially responsible. These days, everyone refinances 17 times in the last three years to suck every penny of equity out of the property. And then they wonder why they get into trouble. But you know, back then, so you have you know, an 80, you know, say my kind of stereotypical 82-year-old woman, female seller, she wants to sell the property because... Her knees hurt, she's gotten too old, she can't keep up with the property, she wants to move somewhere warmer, and it's odd for me because I'm from, <laughs> I'm from a much colder climate than where I currently live, and even in, the, even in the current climate, people still want something warmer, so it's always, it just seems to be a progressive thing. Seems like anywhere in the country, that's a, that's a familiar thing. She can't handle the upkeep on the property, and uh, her knees hurt. And going up and down the stairs isn't a nice thing anymore. And so they want to move in the retirement community somewhere warmer and usually a one level or garden style property. Fantastic. Well, we can help them with that. So that's pinpointing the problem. And as I start to think about a package solution that'll work, it's, well, what do you want the money for? And a lot of times at that age, they want to know that they're taken care of for the rest of their life. That's very easy to have happen, particularly with a free and clear house. A lot of times there's a grandchild or two that they want to put through college. And they say, you know, I don't trust my kids (laughs) to pay for my grandkids' school, so I want to do that. How can we make that happen? What's great about a real estate deal is you can structure the payment any way you want. You can put pretty much anything you want into a real estate contract and make that some of the terms. So a lot of times I said, okay, fine. So how often does a, a college or university need to be paid? Well, they need to be paid twice a year. Okay, for the next four years. So what if we structured this where the payments automatically went from the escrow account that the money will be put into upon the sale, automatically that school got paid out twice a year for the next four years so that your granddaughter can go to, go to college and it completely avoids your bum children, the, the, right, the, the granddaughter's parents, from being able to touch the money. Would that work? And they say, oh yeah, that'd be great. Can we set it up that way? Oh, and there's money left over. Oh, fantastic. So I'm going to be set for life. You say, absolutely. How much do you need a month to live? We can make sure that you have all that and you can, you know, you run all the numbers out for them and they go, that's incredible. Because you took the time to pinpoint the problem, you know what their issues are and you can put together a package that custom fits exactly what it is that they're after, which makes it a pretty logical thing then to say yes. Yes winds up being the only logical answer and you're the only logical choice. Because even if there was any competition, even if they were talking to somebody else, nobody else figured it out that way. No one else put the offer together like that, which moves into the third part of the puzzle, which is persuade. So it's not enough just to present them with a package that makes sense. You have to persuade them to say yes to it. And part of this is knowing what their pain points were, because you pinpointed those, packaging up a solution that solves them helps you persuade them to say yes. Because if we're going to move them from no to yes, because 
the most exciting things in life happen after the word yes, right? And all the real estate deals happen after the word yes. We've got to move, we've got to move them to, to say yes. So they accept that package, understand how that's going to solve all the problems, take the house off their hands without them having to do a lick of work to it. And it can make them very happy moving forward. And it's that sense of relief and that sense of satisfaction and that sense of fulfillment because they're, they're having everything that they needed to have take place. They're having that fulfilled from selling the property. That's the power of negotiating the right way. And when you pinpoint package and then persuade them to say yes, it's the only logical choice. What's interesting about that approach, Tom, is there's some empathy, I would imagine, required and some people skills. And I think maybe this is a, where there's a lot of disconnect because people associate real estate with hard selling and, you know, tricking people into selling their homes. And what I love about this approach is that you're listening, you're paying attention to what the needs are of the seller, and you're taking their their future plans into consideration because this is probably not a, a light decision for them. And I, and I think uh, you've probably found this to be true, but if you take the time to have these conversations and follow this framework, you end up having a conversation with someone who feels like you understand them, like they're in good hands and that they can trust you as someone that they can do business with. Absolutely. That's exactly, exactly how they feel. And that's exactly the feeling we want them to have. I, so I know I said it, you know, it sounds a little schmaltzy to say, oh, it's a win-win negotiation, but it is because you got to get them to that point where it makes sense. That way they feel good about it and move ahead. And quite honestly, you've got to get it to that point where it makes sense so that you feel good about it and you'll move ahead. Otherwise, eh, you know, you're not going to feel good about it. You're not going to do it. And so I always stress to people, because I know it sounds a little odd when I said like, who are we looking for in the market? It's people with problems. Oh, so we're taking advantage of people with problems? Are we chasing ambulances? Are we chasing hearses? Are we, no, we're looking for people with problems so that we can help them solve those problems. And in the process, we make money doing that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a doctor makes money by solving your problems. And a lot of people make money by solving problems. Well, that's what we do as real estate investors as well. It's never bulldoze over somebody and crush them into nothing. It's always, let's make it win-win so that they're going to get what they want out of this transaction and we're going to get what we want. And I imagine as a, as a real estate investor, all you have is your reputation, right? And you, know, you never know word of mouth will get you or won't get you if you don't do it correctly. So I think it's important to think about this, about doing the right thing at all times. It may, may sound like a, like a Boy Scout <laughs> creed or something like that, but I think it sounds like that's what you're teaching because it just will help you in the long run get the types of deals that I think, um, I think what will happen is that in, in the long run, you'll work on the type of deals that you feel good about because to your point, it's a win-win and you're actually guiding them through a solution that they're going to be happy with in the end. Absolutely. 100%. And you'd be surprised that actually as a, another source of marketing is the referrals. So as you've helped one person out, shockingly, guess what happens? Birds of a feather flock together. And so you get, you get one, you know, you get one person that's in trouble and, and you help them. What do you, they go and tell everyone they know, Hey, this guy helped me. And since people tend to have the same problems as the people they hang out with, you get this constant flow then over the years of more people coming into you saying, Hey, you helped so-and-so. Can you help me? And the answer is absolutely. Let's work on it. What's interesting about the time that we're in too, is that there's a generation boomer generation that is 
this demographic probably that we're speaking to. And I, I don't know if that's something you've noticed about, and maybe we can dive a little deeper uh, into this in terms of research in, in a future episode. But I get the sense that we're moving into an interesting time in the next 10 to 20 years where there's going to be a lot of people in this age bracket that are going to have these challenges about, you know, ready to move on to the next phase of their life or, you know, have a property that they want to downsize out of. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, it's a nice wave coming our way. So I want people to be ready for it. So that takes us through the second pillar of make. And now we, that gets us to the, your third pillar, which is get paid. Yes, get paid. Okay. So from the moment they say yes in the negotiation, right? The logical conclusion of a good negotiation is the word yes. So we've made the deal. Well, now we need to ink it up. So the first part of getting paid is having a contract. There's no way around it. You absolutely have to have a written contract in real estate. So there's no oral agreement. I can't, I can't agree to buy your sunglasses from you and you say, yes, yeah, so when we have an, we have an agreement, that's an oral agreement that doesn't happen in real estate. It has to be in writing and written contracts scare a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of the audience is going, oh yeah, I'm, I'm petrified of legal contracts. In fact, a lot of times people are so scared of the legal contract that that's why they don't bother doing any marketing because they're worried about what would eventually happen. So one of the things I want to do here, one of the reasons I'm describing all these steps of the process is so if we can identify anywhere that you're afraid of that's stopping you from starting, I can shed some light on it. And we'll, I, I find sunlight to be the best disinfectant. We're going to shine some light on that, make you understand what it is, take that fair away so that you will get started and progress all the way through the process. So contracts is one of those big ones. And getting the legal contracts right, here's what surprises a lot of people. My entire business, from a wholesaling perspective, runs on just two contracts. The first one is only four pages long, and the second one is a whopping one page long. So my first one is my pro-buyer agreement. When the person says yes, I present them with my four-page pro-buyer agreement. When I say pro-buyer, it's because I'm the buyer. Okay, so it's it, it's a it's a sales contract, but it's it's weighted so it's favorable to me as an investor, as I think it should be. Later on, when I go to find a ultimate end buyer, either a landlord that's going to buy it from me or a rehabber that's going to buy it from me, I need to assign all my rights and responsibilities in the initial contract. I need to assign those to the new buyer. I do that using a one-page assignment contract. Both of these contracts I've custom written with two of my attorneys, and we thought about all right, well. What is everything needed legally and what's everything needed from the investor's perspective? That's what's missing in a lot of the boilerplate stuff. It's not written from the investor perspective. So I quarterbacked and said, this is what I need to have happen. How are we going to make all of these things come true? And that's what my attorneys did. So we got the kind of best of both worlds. What the, the business side of it says, what the business mind says, what a real estate entrepreneur needs, and make sure that's backed up properly by two different attorneys. So that's why that's how I get through confidently through the contract phase of it. So someone says yes, I present them with the contract. The other nice thing about a, a four-page contract, it's not that long. It's written in plain English. They understand it. They're comfortable with it. They can sit down at their kitchen table and read it. If they have any questions, they can ask them. It's not, they don't feel intimidated by it. So they've said yes, and now they can ink it up, sign the contract, and lock in their yes. Fantastic. But things aren't quite done yet. We're still not all, it doesn't start raining money just because they said yes, and it doesn't start raining money just because they signed the contract. 
I still need to get this thing through the settlement, through the closing, right? So different parts of the country, they call it different things. It might be settlement, might be closing, might be called closing escrow. It doesn't matter what specific term you use in your area, the, the outcome's the same. It means in bringing it to the, either the settlement attorney, the settlement office, the escrow office, the title company, but again, different names for who it is that goes through the process of transferring ownership of the property from one person to the other. That is what we're after. There's some conflicts along the way. So the second part we're doing, when we talk about get paid, we're talking about contracts, conflicts, and control. Contracts, conflicts, and control. I covered what happens with the contract. Now we're talking about different types of conflicts. Issues come up. I mean, what if your seller starts to get cold feet or gets a little froggy or a little bit funny? We got to know how to deal with that. Buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. Well, seller's remorse in their case. Yeah, seller's remorse. And then, yeah. yeah. And then speaking of buyers, we got to find a good buyer. If, if I'm going to be wholesaling it, so I'm not the one buying it, I'm not going to be the rehabber or I'm not going to be the landlord. Well, then I need to find a rehabber or find the landlord. There's things to control there. I have to negotiate with them again get them to pay a higher price than what I have it on the contract for because my profit is made in that spread, right? My profit is made in the spread between what I have it under contract for with the seller and what I can convince the buyer to pay me for it. And there's a difference there. And that difference is what goes into my pocket, right? That's called my wholesale fee or my assignment fee. Some of the conflicts that come up with buyers is that, you know, they don't agree with your, your estimation of the value of the property or they don't agree with the terms of your contract or they don't, you know, they don't agree with your repair estimate, how much you say it's going to cost to fix it up. So there's some conflicts there you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to wrestle with. There could also be other things along the way to settlement, such as something goes wrong with the title work. Let's say there's a big bill. They had the roof redone five years ago and they never paid to have, they never paid that contractor. And now there's a lien against the property. This kind of stuff comes up during the title work and it's a conflict you have to be prepared to deal with so that it, for the most part, you don't have to personally do much other than manage it. You need to tell your attorneys, all right, let's solve this problem and get it done. You need to leverage your team to get it done, but you need to be aware of it because these things could kind of rear their ugly head. And if it, things go wrong, that's not a good thing. So you, you've got to be prepared to manage those conflicts. What percentage of deals do you find uh, tend to have these sort of hiccups along the way? Almost 100%. Hmm. <laughs> Almost 100% have a hiccup of some sort. Now, a big hiccup that's going to kill it? No. But there is always some sort of skeleton in the title work closet. There's just almost always, there's a bill that didn't get paid or, or something a little crazy or goofy. Half the time, they don't know about it. We find out during the, the title search process when, the, when, the, when it's heading to settlement. The thing is, it's not usually enough to derail the deal. So it's just something that needs to be dealt with. So one thing I tell all my students to do is, hey, tell them there's going to be some title issue. And they'll say, well, I don't know anything. Or you say, are you sure? Are there any issues I should know about? Because there's usually something. And they'll tell you no. And that's fine. Because then when the issue comes up, <laughs> it's minor. You say, no problem. We can deal with it. But now you look really good because you warned them about it. You were able to see the future because you've got the experience to know that something almost always happens. Here's what I tell all my students. In every single deal that you do, there will be drama. You can't avoid it. The drama will come early or the drama will come late, but there will absolutely always be drama. What we are paid for effectively as real estate investors is controlling for that drama, dealing with that drama and getting through that drama. So if you think about, if you think about that drama earlier, drama late, but always drama, then 
if it's really crazy at the beginning and let, let's say the negotiations kind of a pain in the butt and everything's complicated and there's all this stuff, then usually it'll settle down and be smooth sailing through the settlement until you get to closing. And that's a good thing. On the other hand, let's say it's been really smooth sailing at the beginning. Everything's falling into place. Everything's going so perfect. Everything's lovely and wonderful. Then expect a wild finish. And be afraid because the wild finish is coming because there will always be drama on a deal. It'll come early, it'll come late, but it'll always be there. So I usually like to get it out of the way up front and then smooth sailing, but you don't always have control over it. You just have to be prepared to deal with those kinds of conflicts. Okay? That's part of what getting paid is all about. One of the main components you have to have in getting paid and quite honestly throughout the entire process is control. You've got to be able to control this process. Our contracts give us legal control over the deal, right? The proper legal contract that I used, my four-page pro-buyer agreement, that blocks me in. It's me and only me that is now legally able to buy that property. That's the right that I'm selling, right? So that justifies my wholesale fee. It also protects against any other competition. It keeps anyone else out, and that's a very good thing. My assignment contract, the one-page contract that I use to sell all the rights and responsibilities in the, con in, in, in the, in the initial contract, that lets me control my buyer. And it still lets me control my seller because of the way it's worded, I have control over the full deal. So it's another control mechanism. Everything that I need to control is taken care of legally. It's taken care of through my process, through the system, through these different steps that I've been walking you through. There's a whole other angle of control though that people need to think about. And that's your own personal control. When you look in the mirror, do you have control of yourself? Do you have control over your emotions? I know you want this deal. I know you want that money to achieve whatever total freedom means for you. But sometimes some people, they get so thirsty and hungry for it that they smell like desperation. And that kills the deal. Greedy. Or that kills the negotiation. It's greedy. It's not you. Yeah, greedy sometimes. And sometimes just you, you, you want it too much. So you got to control yourself. Mm -hmm. You got to control your emotions, control your desire. Because when you kind of take on that degree of control, Marketing goes smoother, negotiation goes smoother, getting paid goes smoother. It all comes back to that degree of control. So that's why control on a number of fronts is so absolutely important to getting to total and complete freedom. So that's a, an amazing framework and it's a, it's a great overview and it's probably a good place for us to, to put a pin in this and, and really get people excited about what's to come. Um, like I mentioned, we're going to be diving deep into finding, making, and getting paid. Um, but I think providing this overview lets folks who are coming in new understand that there's a process because a lot of times people think, oh, there's just one or two things I have to do to ensure I get a good deal and, and to get involved in this real estate game. And I think that the way you've outlined it gives people a framework that they can follow, steps to follow to, to give them the confidence that if they go through these steps and they follow this framework, that they're going to have a better chance of success than if they were to just to try to figure this out on their own. Absolutely. That's the point. So that's why we want to we want to start with this, frame it out, let people see what the steps of the process are, understand it, and now we can dig deep and, and fill in the detail. So some of the other things that uh, we're going to be covering in future episodes are, you know, people probably have questions about how much money can actually be made using some of these processes. There's probably going to be concerns about rules and regulations, and people probably want to know if this can be done from any location, because this, this is a people that are really excited about the idea of working from remote locations. So I imagine we'll, we'll dive into that. People want to know how an investor or an entrepreneur can, can best take advantage of this opportunity. 
And I imagine as they listen through this and they, and they think about ways to get involved in this business, that um, they're going to have further questions. So we'll make sure we have an opportunity for people to, to provide feedback on future episodes as well. So I think what makes sense, uh, Tom, if you agree, we would uh, tease these pillars out because people are now got a, a little sneak peek of all the pieces of the puzzle. So I think now diving deeper into these pillars. So with find going um, one level down into market message and multiplication will be pretty exciting for us to tackle in the next couple of episodes. Oh, absolutely. We'll have a lot of fun doing that. Tom Zeeb's three-day rapid cash generator implementation bootcamp teaches you the entire business of wholesale flipping properties for a quick profit. You'll learn how to master marketing to find deals, make the deal by negotiating with ease, and using the right legal contracts to control the deal so you get paid. The next bootcamp is coming up soon. Go to tractionrealestatementors.com forward slash bootcamp for more details and to sign up today.